Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Today we are wrapping up our series on the armor of God. Uh, We've looked at this point in the armor of God. Uh, At the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and finally last week at the helmet of salvation. So today we're going to look at the final piece that Paul writes about in the armor of God. So one last time uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, we'll put it on the screen here for you, uh, verses 10 through 17. Uh, Paul is writing, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Renee, do you mind turning me down just a little bit uh, in the back? So today we're talking about the sword of the spirit. Uh, as we just read, uh, they call it the, the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So I do have a picture here of what the, the sword would have looked, fi- looked like. This was found uh, in archaeological exca- excavations. It was a Roman sword from the first century. Uh, it was called a gladius. It's where we, we get the term gladiator But uh, you can see, or uh, hopefully you can see, it's kind of a smaller sword. It's not what we envision from movies like Braveheart, where they're just wielding the baseball bat. But it's actually a small sword. It's used for hand-to-hand combat. Uh, And Paul says uh, that this sword would have been the only offensive weapon necessary in the armor of God. Now, that's kind of interesting because in the Roman suit of armor, that was not the only offensive weapon. They had multiple swords. They had a dagger. They had a javelin. They had all sorts of things. But Paul says there's only one offensive weapon needed within the spiritual armor in this spiritual battle, and it is the word of God. So our first core value uh, as a church family, we have it on the wall over here, uh, but it's to be a church that is rooted and grounded uh, in the word of God. We believe here that the word of God is true in every way. Uh, We believe that when the Bible says it is living and active, that is true. What does that mean? It simply means it's not dead. Uh, In other words, the Bible never ceases to be relevant. Uh, It will always be relevant. It will always be important to how we live our lives. So we want to be rooted and grounded in the word of God, the authority of the word of God. But today, uh, I want to spend most of our time looking specifically uh, at this expression within scripture, the word of God. What is the word of God? Uh, So lately, uh, I've had several conversations uh, about the various Bible translations that are available. Within the word of God is one translation better than the other uh, or paraphrase translations. uh, Okay, so you have kind of on one end of the spectrum, the paraphrase translations, which take the Bible and just try to put it in the American English language so that we can understand it. 
Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the original King James. How many of you know someone who is King James or bust? Like it's King James or you're going to hell. Those are your choices. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, pastors a church a couple of hours away, uh, and they were busting at the seams. Uh, they were just growing so fast. So they're looking, that's a true story, they're looking for a larger facility. And there was another church that they they discovered was near them that had begun the process of building a bigger facility and then for various reasons the church kind of fell apart and they were left with this dwindling dwindling con uh, congregation and a, a building project that was just at a complete standstill so my friend approaches them and he said hey we've got this building that's too small for us uh, would you be interested in selling your location to us we'll complete the project and we'll move in and the guy uh, this is not a joke, had one question for my friend, the pastor. He said, do you preach from anything other than the original King James? And he said, well, yeah, I do. He said, you'll never set foot in this church. He said, we will never sell you this church. And um, like I said, some people are really gung-ho about the original King James. And uh, by the way, to finish the story, he kept his word. He refused to sell the church all the way until the day that the bank uh, re repossessed the church building and the bank sold it to my friend. <laughs> so they're now holding church services there uh, anyway. But with that being said, uh, I don't think we should put quite as much emphasis on this translation versus that translation. Uh, the problem, I think, is too many people don't read any of the translations. Uh, my advice to you uh, is pick a translation that you will read that will keep you engaged and then read it because the various translations don't generally change the message within Scripture. They just change the wording. And I've yet to discover any Bible translation that says Jesus didn't die on the cross for your sins or that says you're not actually saved by grace. That's in all of them. So just pick one that you will read, that you'll understand and engage and start reading. And by the way, just for a bonus, if you come to church here, we go into the original languages anyway. We go into the Greek and Hebrew, and that's kind of how I got on this rant because we're going to be spending some time this morning in the Greek language. So as I said, uh, we're looking at this expression, the word of God, and really we're going to spend most of our time this morning just on the word, word, uh, that word, word. So there are two primary words in the Greek language. One of them is used far more than the other for this word, uh, and they are the words logos and rhema, logos and rhema. Now, uh, there are a lot of, of layers, there's a lot of depth in these two words, so we could really spend months just defining these two words, especially the word logos. But uh, in the context of what we're talking about today, I've tried to narrow down their definitions, uh, and these are not all-encompassing. We could spend, again, months on that. But just to narrow it down for the context we're talking about today, logos would be speaking of the entire word or message, the entire word or the entire message, and this is usually in the written form. Rhema, when the Bible talks about rhema, is talking about a specific timely word, and it's usually in the spoken form. So Acts chapter 10 gives us a really good verse that helps us to see the difference in these two words, and that's because Luke in Acts chapter 10, in one verse, he uses both words. Uh, so Acts 10 verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, that's rhema, speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message 
Logos. And some translations actually say, while he was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. But it, the difference here is you can see Peter is speaking these words. The spoken word is the rhema, and the message as a whole is the logos. Uh, so this is important because I want you to see, uh, just starting this morning, that these two are not opposed to one another. It's not a choice between the rhema and the logos, but they support one another. The, the audible or the, 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 the spoken word of God supports the written word of God. They never contradict one another. Now, a couple examples of rhema in Scripture would be Hebrews 11.3, for instance. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, That's or God's word, which is rhema, at his spoken word. If you go back into the book of Genesis, it was his spoken word that brought about creation. That's the rhema word of God. Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You hear the spoken word of God. Now, on the other hand, a couple of examples of logos or logos. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God, the logos of God, the message of God, the gospel is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even uh, to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's logos. It's the whole message. And scripture sometimes will even use this word logos, specifically talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, almost like it's interchangeable with the gospel. Uh, And that's because logos in this context is referring to the whole message. So we find an example of that earlier in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes, you uh, also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you heard this message, when you heard the logos, the gospel of your salvation. Now, on the other hand, scripture never talks about rhema as kind of interchangeable with the gospel. Because again, rhema is not referring to an all-encompassing message as a whole. It's speaking to a a specific spoken message. Rhema is a specific, timely message for a specific, timely moment. Now, uh, throughout the New Testament, the term logos is far more common. In fact, word just in the New Testament occurs about 400 times, and 82% of the time, uh, it's logos. And uh, even there's an even greater discrepancy in Paul's writings, which we're studying today, uh, because Paul mentions the word 93 times, and 85 of those are logos. Only eight times out of 95, if I'm doing the math right, does he use the word rhema. More than 90% of the time, Paul uses the word logos when he's describing or talking about the word. Now, recognizing all of this, Uh, recognizing that that Paul more than 90% of the time uses the word logos, that more than 90% of the time he's talking about the full message or the gospel message, uh, and and only eight times in all of his letters does he use the word rhema. Understanding that or, or recognizing that, it has always been my understanding and my assumption that when Paul says the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, he must be talking about the logos. He must be talking about the gospel message is the sword of the Spirit. But actually, this was kind of a curveball for me this week. He doesn't say that. He says the, the sword of the Spirit is the rhema, 
the spoken word of God. This is one of those rare instances, you can put Ephesians 6.17 back on the screen, one of those rare instances, one of only eight times when Paul uses this word rhema, and it's not referring again to the written message of the word of God, but rather a spoken word from God, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema word of God. If Paul wanted to talk here about the written scripture, he would have used the word logos. And by the way, I think he has that covered when he talks about the belt of truth anyway, because that is the truth that we stand in, is the word of truth. But, but Paul, he would never diminish the importance of logos, the written word of God, but he would also recognize that, that there is also the rhema, which is the spoken word of God. So specifically to the passage that we are studying, Paul is actually saying that the sword of the Spirit is the specific, timely, spoken words of God. Those timely words spoken in timely moments. And if this rhema sword of the Spirit, uh, if this rhema word is the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon that we have in our spiritual armor, I want us to, to spend some time looking at this rhema word of God and how it serves as this weaponry. And, and to do that, I want to show you first just a shining example of this in the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we're going to start with his baptisms. Thank you to everyone who came out to baptisms last week. Uh, that, was, that was an awesome time. But So the end of uh, Matthew chapter 3 Jesus tells John the Baptist, hey, I want to be baptized by you. And John at first refuses him. And then he, he says, okay, I'll baptize you. So Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13, we have it on the screen. It says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. On to verse 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Right there, the voice from heaven, the rhema word of God. So right from there, after God speaks this over Jesus Christ, the next verse is Matthew 4.1. And it says, this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to, to become bread. And look how Jesus responds in verse 4. Jesus answered, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word, rhema, that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I want to stop here for a minute. I want you to see how Jesus responds to this temptation. Jesus says that, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema word, every specific word that is spoken from the mouth of God. Now, why does Jesus respond this way specifically? Why does he reference the spoken word, the specific timely word? And I don't want you to miss this because this, this is so incredible. Because that is where Satan attacked Satan didn't try to get Jesus to question written scripture, but he immediately set sights on the rhema, on what God had just spoken to him. If you look at the temptation in verse three, Satan says, if you are the son of God, if that's true, if what God has just said about you is actually true, 
then do this. Can I get you to begin to doubt what God has spoken over you? And Jesus says, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but I live. I live based on what God has just spoken over me. God spoke it. It is the rhema word. And church, God still speaks. And God still makes promises. And he still speaks timely words in timely moments. I don't want you to miss something, though. When Jesus responded and he said, uh, don't, don't try to make me doubt the spoken word of God, he also stood on the word, the logos, and he quoted scripture. Each time Satan came at him to, to sow doubt in God's rhema word, Jesus stood both on the rhema word and the logos word. Do you see that? Jesus quoted the scripture at him, but I want you to see the importance of the rhema word. God speaks these specific words, these timely words. And then what we find immediately in scripture is Satan knows that, that he can't just come and make you doubt something that's written directly in scripture. But if God spoke something to you, Satan will attack that immediately. If Satan... Or if God makes a promise over your family, over your marriage, even over your finances, Satan will attack that immediately. But what I, what I want you to do is I just want you to open up yourself to the possibility that perhaps God is speaking, Rama speaking into your life. But know that if God speaks a word over you, that is where Satan will attack you. The Father's words over Jesus sustained him in the wilderness, and that is exactly where Satan came twice in the temptations. If you are the Son of God, do you really think that what he just said about you is true? You can even go back to the Garden of Eden, and you can see this is where Satan attacked Adam and Eve. Oh, did God really say that about the tree? Can I sow it? Because they didn't have a written word, right? They only had the audible voice of God and, and Satan saying, do you really think God said that? I don't think God meant that. I want you to see that in the garden, in these temptations, that rhema word sustained Jesus. And I want you to see that Jesus recognized this and he also said that his words over us do the same thing for us. In John 6, 63, Jesus said, the words, the rhema words that I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and they are full of life. Jesus said that the same, the same way that those words sustained him in the, in the wilderness temptations, he says, my words to you, they are spirit. They are life giving to you. They, they bring substance to you. And then one more example I want to just show you um, of this, this, this word rhema. It takes place in the life of Simon Peter. So uh, in the book of Luke, we find uh, Peter is, is out, on the, um, out on the boat and he's been fishing through the night and they caught nothing. Uh, I know how that feels, uh, just throwing that out there. But um, the Bible says Jesus came onto his boat and he, he oh, we'll just read in, in Luke 5 verse 4. It says, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But see this, but because you say so, or another translation might say, but at your word, at your rhema is the word there. 
I will let down the nets. So what we find is Peter has been working at this all night and he's ready to give up. But simply because of the spoken word of God, he says, I'll do it one more time. I'll change my ways. I will throw out uh, onto the other side of the boat. And and I've talked about this before, but what's the definition of insanity? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Jesus kind of called him to insanity here. Because he said, you've been doing this over and over and over, but I'm telling you to cast one more time and expect a different result. And I love that because it's an insane faith. And church, we ought to be known for an insane faith that says, I can try and try and try. But if Jesus says to do it one more time at his rhema, at his word, at his command, I will obey. So what we find, church, you can stand. It's a shorter message today. Uh, Rhema, the spoken, audible voice of God, the word of God, sustains us and it brings life. But what we find in the life of Peter is it also should change us. And there should be places in your life that, that the Holy Spirit might convict you to begin doing something just a little bit differently. As Renee leads us right now, what I want to challenge you to do is to open yourself up to that rhema word of God. I'm going to ask every person in here to close their eyes and just in your heart pray, Lord, would you speak? Jesus, this morning we invite your rhema word. We open ourselves up to your spoken word. situations in this room there's brokenness in this room there are circumstances in this room that only you know about and no one else Lord but your rhema your word can sustain us in the midst of them so Lord as Renee leads us I pray that you would speak to our hearts such a way, God, that we would know that we know that we know that it's you. Church, just open up your spirit and invite Jesus to speak to your heart. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.